Section 43 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp. Fourth Book, The World as Will, Sections 69 and 70. Section 69. Suicide, the actual doing away with the individual manifestation of will, differs most widely from the denial of the will to live, which is the single outstanding act of free will in the manifestation and is therefore as asmus calls it the transcendental change this last has been fully considered in the course of our work far from being denial of the will suicide is a phenomenon of strong assertion of will for the essence of negation lies in this that the joys of life are shunned not its sorrows the suicide wills life and is only dissatisfied with the conditions under which it has presented itself to him he therefore by no means surrenders the will to live but only life in that he destroys the individual manifestation he wills life wills the unrestricted existence and assertion of the body but the complication of circumstances does not allow this and there results for him great suffering the very will to live finds itself so much hampered in this particular manifestation that it cannot put forth its energies it therefore comes to such a determination as is in conformity with its own nature which lies outside the conditions of the principle of sufficient reason and to which therefore all particular manifestations are alike indifferent inasmuch as it itself remains unaffected by all appearing and passing away and is the inner life of all things for that firm inward assurance by reason of which we all live free from the constant dread of death the assurance that a phenomenal existence can never be wanting to the will supports our action even in the case of suicide thus the will to live appears just as much in suicide shiva as in the satisfaction of self-preservation vishnu and in the sensual pleasure of procreation brahma this is the inner meaning of the unity of the trimurtis which is embodied in its entirety in every human being though in time it raises now one now another of its three heads suicide stands in the same relation to the denial of the will as the individual thing does to the idea the suicide denies only the individual not the species we have already seen that as life is always assured to the will to live 
and as sorrow is inseparable from life suicide the wilful destruction of the single phenomenal existence is a vain and foolish act for the thing in itself remains unaffected by it even as the rainbow endures however fast the drops which support it for the moment may change but more than this it is also the masterpiece of maya as the most flagrant example of the contradiction of the will to live with itself as we found this contradiction in the case of the lowest manifestations of will in the permanent struggle of all the forces of nature and of all organic individuals for matter and time and space and as we saw this antagonism come ever more to the front with terrible distinctness in the ascending grades of the objectification of the will so at last in the highest grade the idea of man it reaches the point at which not only the individuals which express the same idea extirpate each other but even the same individual declares war against itself the vehemence with which it wills life and revolts against what hinders it namely suffering brings it to the point of destroying itself so that the individual will by its own act puts an end to that body which is merely its particular visible expression rather than permit suffering to break the will just because the suicide cannot give up willing he gives up living the will asserts itself here even in putting an end to its own manifestation because it can no longer assert itself otherwise as however it was just the suffering which it so shuns that was able as mortification of the will to bring it to the denial of itself and hence to freedom so in this respect the suicide is like a sick man who after a painful operation which would entirely cure him has been begun will not allow it to be completed but prefers to retain his disease suffering approaches and reveals itself as the possibility of the denial of will but the will rejects it in that it destroys the body the manifestation of itself in order that it may remain unbroken this is the reason why almost all ethical teachers whether philosophical or religious condemn suicide although they themselves can only give far-fetched sophistical reasons for their opinion but if a human being was ever restrained from committing suicide by purely moral motives the inmost meaning of this self-conquest in whatever ideas his reason may have clothed it was this i will not shun suffering in order that it may help to put an end to the will to live whose manifestation is so wretched 
by so strengthening the knowledge of the real nature of the world which is already beginning to dawn upon me that it may become the final quieter of my will and may free me for ever it is well known that from time to time cases occur in which the act of suicide extends to the children the father first kills the children he loves and then himself now if we consider that conscience religion and all influencing ideas teach him to look upon murder as the greatest of crimes and that in spite of this he yet commits it in the hour of his own death and when he is altogether uninfluenced by any egotistical motive such a deed can only be explained in the following manner in this case the will of the individual the father recognizes itself immediately in the children though involved in the delusion of mistaking the appearance for the true nature and as he is at the same time deeply impressed with the knowledge of the misery of all life he now thinks to put an end to the inner nature itself along with the appearance and thus seeks to deliver from existence and its misery both himself and his children in whom he discerns himself as living again it would be an error precisely analogous to this to suppose that one may reach the same end as is attained through voluntary chastity by frustrating the aim of nature in fecundation or indeed if in consideration of the unendurable suffering of life parents were to use means for the destruction of their new-born children instead of doing everything possible to ensure life to that which is struggling into it for if the will to live is there as it is the only metaphysical reality or the thing in itself no physical force can break it but can only destroy its manifestation at this place and time it itself can never be transcended except through knowledge thus the only way of salvation is that the will shall manifest itself unrestrictedly in order that in this individual manifestation it may come to apprehend its own nature only as the result of this knowledge can the will transcend itself and thereby end the suffering which is inseparable from its manifestation it is quite impossible to accomplish this end by physical force as by destroying the germ or by killing the newborn child or by committing suicide nature guides the will to the light just because it is only in the light that it can work out its salvation therefore the aims of nature are to be promoted in every way as soon as the will to live which is its inner being has determined itself there is a species of suicide which seems to be quite distinct from the common kind though its occurrence has perhaps not yet been fully established it is starvation 
voluntarily chosen on the ground of extreme asceticism all instances of it however have been accompanied and obscured by much religious fanaticism and even superstition yet it seems that the absolute denial of will may reach the point at which the will shall be wanting to take the necessary nourishment for the support of the natural life this kind of suicide is so far from being the result of the will to live that such a completely resigned ascetic only ceases to live because he has already altogether ceased to will no other death than that by starvation is in this case conceivable unless it were the result of some special superstition for the intention to cut short the torment would itself be a stage in the assertion of will the dogmas which satisfy the reason of such a penitent delude him with the idea that a being of a higher nature has inculcated the fasting to which his own inner tendency drives him old examples of this may be found in the breslauer sammlung von natur und medizingeschichten september seventeen ninety nine page three hundred sixty three in bales nouvelles de la republique des lettres february sixteen eighty five page one hundred eighty nine in zimmermann über die einsamkeit volume one page one hundred eighty two in the histoire de l'académie des sciences for seventeen sixty four an account by hutoin which is quoted in the sammlung für praktische ärzte volume one page sixty nine more recent accounts may be found in hufeland's journal für praktische heilkunde volume ten page one hundred eighty one and volume forty eight page ninety five also in Nasse's Zeitschrift für psychische Ärzte, 1819, Part 3, page 460, and in the Edinburgh Medical and Surgical Journal, 1809, volume 5, page 319. In the year 1833, all the papers announced that the English historian, Dr. Lingard, had died in January at Dover of voluntary starvation. According to later accounts, it was not he himself, but a relation of his, who died. Still, in these accounts the persons were generally described as insane, and it is no longer possible to find out how far this was the case but I will give here a more recent case of this kind, if it were only to ensure the preservation of one of the rare instances of this striking and extraordinary phenomenon of human nature, which, to all appearance at any rate, belongs to the category to which I wish to assign it, and could hardly be explained in any other way. This case is reported in the Nürnberger Korrespondenten of the twenty ninth july eighteen thirteen in these words we hear from bern that in a thick wood near thurnen a hut has been discovered in which was lying the body of a man who had been dead about a month 
his clothes gave little or no clue to his social position two very fine shirts lay beside him the most important article however was a bible interleaved with white paper part of which had been written upon by the deceased in this writing he gives the date of his departure from home but does not mention where his home was he then says that he was driven by the spirit of god into the wilderness to pray and fast during his journey he had fasted seven days and then he had again taken food after this he had begun again to fast and continued to do so for the same number of days as before from this point we find each day marked with a stroke and of these there are five at the expiration of which the pilgrim presumably died there was further found a letter to a clergyman about a sermon which the deceased heard him preach but the letter was not addressed between this voluntary death arising from extreme asceticism and the common suicide resulting from despair there may be various intermediate species and combinations though this is hard to find out but human nature has depths obscurities and perplexities the analysis and elucidation of which is a matter of the very greatest difficulty section seventy it might be supposed that the entire exposition now terminated of that which i call the denial of the will is irreconcilable with the earlier explanation of necessity which belongs just as much to motivation as to every other form of the principle of sufficient reason and according to which motives like all causes are only occasional causes upon which the character unfolds its nature and reveals it with the necessity of a natural law on account of which we absolutely denied freedom as liberum arbitrium indifferentiae but far from suppressing this here i would call it to mind in truth real freedom i e independence of the principle of sufficient reason belongs to the will only as a thing in itself not to its manifestation whose essential form is everywhere the principle of sufficient reason the element or sphere of necessity but the one case in which that freedom can become directly visible in the manifestation is that in which it makes an end of what manifests itself and because the mere manifestation as a link in the chain of causes the living body in time which contains only phenomena still continues to exist the will which manifests itself through this phenomenon then stands in contradiction to it for it denies what the phenomenon expresses in such a case the organs of generation for example as the visible form of the sexual impulse are there and in health but yet in the inmost consciousness no sensual gratification is desired and 
although the whole body is only the visible expression of the will to live yet the motives which correspond to this will no longer act indeed the dissolution of the body the end of the individual and in this way the greatest check to the natural will is welcome and desired now the contradiction between our assertions of the necessity of the determination of the will by motives in accordance with the character on the one hand and of the possibility of the entire suppression of the will whereby the motives become powerless on the other hand is only the repetition in the reflection of philosophy of this real contradiction which arises from the direct encroachment of the freedom of the will in itself which knows no necessity into the sphere of the necessity of its manifestation but the key to the solution of these contradictions lies in the fact that the state in which the character is withdrawn from the power of motives does not proceed directly from the will but from a changed form of knowledge so long as the knowledge is merely that which is involved in the principium individuationis and exclusively follows the principle of sufficient reason the strength of the motives is irresistible but when the principium individuationis is seen through when the ideas and indeed the inner nature of the thing in itself as the same will in all are directly recognized and from this knowledge an universal quieter of volition arises then the particular motives become ineffective because the kind of knowledge which corresponds to them is obscured and thrown into the background by quite another kind therefore the character can never partially change but must with the consistency of a law of nature carry out in the particular the will which it manifests as a whole but this whole the character itself may be completely suppressed or abolished through the change of knowledge referred to above it is this suppression or abolition which asmus as quoted above marvels at and denotes the catholic transcendental change and in the christian church it has very aptly been called the new birth and the knowledge from which it springs the work of grace therefore it is not a question of a change but of an entire suppression of the character and hence it arises that however different the characters which experience the suppression may have been before it after it they show a great similarity in their conduct though every one still speaks very differently according to his conceptions and dogmas in this sense then the old philosophical doctrine of the freedom of the will which has constantly been contested and constantly maintained is not 
without ground and the dogma of the church of the work of grace and the new birth is not without meaning and significance but we now unexpectedly see both united in one and we can now also understand in what sense the excellent malbranche could say la liberté est un mystère and was right for precisely what the christian mystics call the work of grace and the new birth is for us the single direct expression of the freedom of the will it only appears if the will having attained to a knowledge of its own real nature receives from this a quieter by means of which the motives are deprived of their effect which belongs to the province of another kind of knowledge the objects of which are merely phenomena the possibility of the freedom which thus expresses itself is the greatest prerogative of man which is for ever wanting to the brute because the condition of it is the deliberation of reason which enables him to survey the whole of life independent of the impression of the present the brute is entirely without the possibility of freedom as indeed it is without the possibility of a proper or deliberate choice following upon a completed conflict of motives which for this purpose would have to be abstract ideas therefore with the same necessity with which the stone falls to the earth the hungry wolf buries its fangs in the flesh of its prey without the possibility of the knowledge that it is itself the destroyed as well as the destroyer necessity is the kingdom of nature freedom is the kingdom of grace now because as we have seen that self-suppression of the will proceeds from knowledge and all knowledge is involuntary that denial of will also that entrance into freedom cannot be forcibly attained to by intention or design but proceeds from the inmost relation of knowing and volition in the man and therefore comes suddenly as if spontaneously from without this is why the church has called it the work of grace and that it still regards it as independent of the acceptance of grace corresponds to the fact that the effect of the quieter is finally a free act of will and because in consequence of such a work of grace the whole nature of man is changed and reversed from its foundation so that he no longer wills anything of all that he previously willed so intensely so that it is as if a new man actually took the place of the old the church has called this consequence of the work of grace the new birth for what it calls the natural man to which it denies all capacity for good is just the will to live which must be denied if deliverance from an existence such as ours is to be attained behind our existence lies something else which is only accessible to us if we have shaken off this world 
having regard not to the individuals according to the principle of sufficient reason but to the idea of man in its unity christian theology symbolizes nature the assertion of the will to live in adam whose sin inherited by us i e our unity with him in the idea which is represented in time by the bond of procreation makes us all partakers of suffering and eternal death on the other hand it symbolizes grace the denial of the will salvation in the incarnate god who as free from all sin that is from all willing of life cannot like us have proceeded from the most pronounced assertion of the will nor can he like us have a body which is through and through simply concrete will manifestation of the will but born of a pure virgin he has only a phantom body this last is the doctrine of the ducetae i e certain church fathers who in this respect are very consistent it is especially taught by appel against whom and his followers tertullian wrote but even augustine comments thus on the passage romans eight three god sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh non enum caro peccati erat quae non de carnale delectatione nata erat sed tamen inerat ei similitudo carnis peccati quia mortalis caro erat liber octaginta tres questiones question sixty six he also teaches in his work entitled opus imperfectum one forty seven that inherited sin is both sin and punishment at once it is already present in newborn children but only shows itself if they grow up yet the origin of this sin is to be referred to the will of the sinner this sinner was adam but we all existed in him adam became miserable and in him we have all become miserable certainly the doctrine of original sin assertion of the will and of salvation denial of the will is the great truth which constitutes the essence of christianity while most of what remains is only the clothing of it the husk or accessories therefore jesus christ ought always to be conceived in the universal as the symbol or personification of the denial of the will to live but never as an individual whether according to his mythical history given in the gospels or according to the probably true history which lies at the foundation of this for neither the one nor the other will easily satisfy us entirely it is merely the vehicle of that conception for the people who always demand something actual that in recent times christianity has forgotten its true significance and degenerated into dull optimism does not concern us here it is further an original and evangelical doctrine of christianity which augustine with the consent of the leaders of the church 
defended against the platitudes of the pelagians and which it was the principal aim of luther's endeavour to purify from error and re-establish as he expressly declares in his book de servo arbitrio the doctrine that the will is not free but originally subject to the inclination to evil therefore according to this doctrine the deeds of the will are always sinful and imperfect and can never fully satisfy justice and finally these works can never save us but faith alone a faith which itself does not spring from resolution and free will but from the work of grace without our cooperation comes to us as from without not only the dogmas referred to before but also this last genuine evangelical dogma belongs to those which at the present day an ignorant and dull opinion rejects as absurd or hides for in spite of augustine and luther it adheres to the vulgar pelagianism which the rationalism of the day really is and treats as antiquated those deeply significant dogmas which are peculiar and essential to christianity in the strictest sense while on the other hand it holds fast and regards as the principal matter only the dogma that originates in judaism and has been retained from it and is merely historically connected with christianity we however recognize in the doctrine referred to above the truth completely agreeing with the result of our own investigations we see that true virtue and holiness of disposition have their origin not in deliberate choice works but in knowledge faith just as we have in like manner developed it from our leading thought if it were works which spring from motives and deliberate intention that led to salvation then however one may turn it virtue would always be a prudent methodical far-seeing egoism but the faith to which the christian church promises salvation is this that as through the fall of the first man we are all partakers of sin and subject to death and perdition through the divine substitute through grace and the taking upon himself of our fearful guilt we are all saved without any merit of our own of the person since that which can proceed from the intentional determined by motives action of the person works can never justify us from its very nature just because it is intentional action induced by motives opus operatum thus in this faith there is implied first of all that our condition is originally and essentially an incurable one from which we need salvation then that we ourselves essentially belong to evil and are so firmly bound to it that our works according to law and precept i e according to motives can never satisfy justice nor save us but salvation is only obtained 
through faith, i.e., through a changed mode of knowing. And this faith can only come through grace, thus, as from without. This means that the salvation is one which is quite foreign to our person, and points to a denial and surrender of this person necessary to salvation. Works, the result of the law as such, can never justify, because they are always action following upon motives. Luther demands, in his book De Libertate Christiana, that after the entrance of faith, the good works shall proceed from it entirely of themselves as symptoms, as fruits of it, yet by no means as constituting in themselves a claim to merit, justification, or reward, but taking place quite voluntarily and gratuitously. So we also hold that from the ever-clearer penetration of the Principium Individuationis proceeds, first, merely free justice, then love, extending to the complete abolition of egoism, and finally resignation or denial of the will. I have here introduced these dogmas of Christian theology which in themselves are foreign to philosophy, merely for the purpose of showing that the ethical doctrine which proceeds from our whole investigation, and is in complete agreement and connection with all its parts, although new and unprecedented in its expression, is by no means so in its real nature, but fully agrees with the Christian dogmas properly so called, and indeed, as regards its essence, was contained and present in them. It also agrees quite as accurately with the doctrines and ethical teachings of the sacred books of India, which in their turn are presented in quite different forms. At the same time, the calling to mind of the dogmas of the Christian Church serves to explain and illustrate the apparent contradiction between the necessity of all expressions of character when motives are presented, the kingdom of nature, on the one hand, and the freedom of the will in itself to deny itself and abolish the character with all the necessity of the motives based upon it, the kingdom of grace, on the other hand. End of Fourth Book, The World as Will, Sections 69 and 70.